Thanks, Peter. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, I was so, uh, you know, taken by Susan's uh, dynamic delivery of that story. I'm realizing I have no visuals for the adults. <laughs> I can hold up my notes. Look, color, color coded. <laughs> um, as I'm preaching to you from um, KW Redeemer headquarters, aka my living room, uh, I have there's a window, there's a window right here, and on just outside on the other side is my neighbor's house, and they have a window there, and so um, because we don't want to have that awkward situation where you're like waving to people from one window to the next, a couple of years ago I planted some cedars, planted those cedars because cedars. Uh, are evergreen. So whether it's 30 above or 30 below, regardless of dramatically unstable conditions, uh, they're green, they're unchanging. And so that's why we, we put those there. Our text for this morning is Philippians chapter four, which is a bold text. It makes a bold promise. And the promise is that for those of us who are united to Christ by his great grace and faith, we can have joy and a soul that is at peace in the midst of volatile and uncertain circumstances. That the same grace that rescued us, it does this renewal in us so that as uh, God's children, he gives us the gift of an evergreen soul so that we can be stable um, even in unstable conditions. So let's start reading <clears throat> from Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4 to 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is God's word. <clears throat> now, at first glance, this text is asking the impossible. It says, rejoice in everything and don't be anxious about anything. This permanently renewed joy, how is this possible? How can we do this? And as we unpack the text, what you find is you're not being mercilessly told how to feel. You're being wisely instructed in how to focus. And... By divine design, what God has intended is that we would be formed and shaped and governed and led by his revelation so that our focus um, is directing our feelings. But because of the brokenness of sin, because of the brokenness of our world, we're quite often dominated by our feelings. When Susan ran a kid's camp years ago, she used to say to the kids, 
she would talk about this, uh, the peace of God that's available when we focus on him. And she used to talk about the negative thoughts like ants. And uh, she would call them uh, automatic negative thoughts. And she would say to the kids, no, those ants go marching. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and the ants go marching, the automatic negative thoughts. Well, this passage here in Philippians 4, it's not simply calling us to be joyful and peaceful and steadfast. It actually gives us insight into how the apostle did that, how by the spirit we're being instructed to do that. It's a mindset that is governing our daily experience. And so I want you to consider in the middle of this global pandemic, how relevant it is for you, how relevant it is for your children to avail yourself of this gift, of this peace that passes all understanding. <clears throat> and so this, this peace, as, as we look at the text, how the apostle describes it, it dissipates our worry and it silences our fears. It, the text says it guards our heart and it guards our mind. It's something that God gives and something that we, we cultivate. And when I say that it, it displaces our worry or it displaces our fear, for you kids who are listening, Imagine that you fill the bathtub up to the top and then you do a cannonball and you jump in. What's going to happen? It's going to displace all the water all over the bathroom floor. So don't try that after we're done here. But that's what will happen. And the word displace means if you jump into that water, you being something of significant substance, you're going to drive out everything else. And the gospel comes into our life. And this peace that, that God offers to us It's so powerful, it's of such substance that it comes in and it displaces the fear, the worry, the anxiety in our hearts and in our minds. We know this because the apostle often in the New Testament um, refers to the power of the gospel and in one text in particular, he calls it power. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God. The word gospel means news. And maybe it's never been so poignant in our lifetime as it is right now that we are acquainted with the truth that news is power, right? That news has the power to dictate your day. Tomorrow morning when we wake up, we'll check the news and we should check the news, right? We're going to check it a a couple times a a week. We might even check it in the morning and the evening of each day, right? What is going on in our city? What is going on in our country? What is going on in the world? And depending on what that news is, that is having an impact on us, a significant impact on us. What the apostle is getting at is this gospel has that power. It is the news that has power to shape the way we think, shape the way we live, and it is good news. The the gospel is this life-changing announcement about our eternal future. And so we're going to look this morning at a couple things um, that this text gives us. You know, but before we do, I just want you to consider how relevant it is um, for us right now, because as North American moderns, globally speaking, we live with unprecedented levels of privilege and um, comfort. And I'm not saying that all of our lives are easy all the time. What I'm saying, globally speaking, is that we do not live as modern North Americans, most of us, with with suffering and death in our staring us in the face and our focus. It's in the peripheral. We don't really think about it till we attend a funeral. Then we start thinking about it. But in, you know, globally speaking, uh, uh, we're, we, we've just become in tune with something that for many, it's not in the peripheral. It's actually uh, in the focus. 
And I know that as I say that, that might offend some of you. And you might say, well, <clears throat> you know, I go through uh, difficult times and I, and I struggle with suffering. And I'm not trying to belittle that in any way. But everybody listening to this live stream, if you're uncomfortable, you can walk over to the wall and adjust the temperature and increase your comfort in the moment. Or that is just something that globally speaking is like a thing of kings. So as North Americans, we're not used to staring at our fragility in the way that we are right now in the middle of this global pandemic. And so the good news of the gospel for us is that the shape of Christ's life is the shape of ours. This suffering will end in glory in the same way that all of Christ's suffering ended in, ended in glory, <clears throat> that the story of the end of our lives is hopeful. And so I want us to look at the wisdom that this passage is giving us in two ways, thankfulness and thoughtfulness, that this text is not just saying, hey, be joyful, don't be anxious, and go about your day. It's instructing us on in how to do it. We're going to unpack that. And before I do, I want to say something very briefly to those of you listening to this who may struggle with mental illness. I want to encourage you that God's word uh, is true for you. The promises of God are for you. And even though you have struggles and challenges that those of us who don't struggle with mental illness, we can't... Um, empathize it we can't understand because you may wake up in the morning with a challenge you're even battling your own biology battling the challenges within to a degree that that many of us are not but i want to encourage you this text is for you you don't read the bible and get to certain uh texts that speak of peace and hope and the dissipation of worry and anxiety and say well that doesn't apply to me because i struggle with mental illness <clears throat> without question the challenge is going to be greater for you but this promise is for you. So let's look at the first thing. We're reoriented in thankfulness. We're reoriented in thankfulness for God's presence and his strength that's available for us today. I want you to notice in verses four and five, there's a progression from joyfulness to gentleness. Those who are joyful and gentle are those who by God's grace have been delivered from the self-absorption that comes by obsessing over your own life at obsessing over your own circumstances. And if we are obsessing over our own life and obsessing over our own circumstances, we can't be joyful and we can't be gentle. Look at how the text flows from this joyfulness to gentleness. Look at verse six. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. And what I want you to notice about this is that the way we come to God in prayer is with thankfulness. We don't wait until we have an answer and then demonstrate thankfulness. You know, thanking, being able to go to God, thanking him for his goodness and his greatness, even before we have the answer, what this teaches us is that ultimately we don't simply pray to get things. We pray to get God. We pray because we need God. <clears throat> If the only way that we know to pray is to say, oh Lord, would you end the pandemic by Monday at three? We're going to have a crisis of faith. If the only way we know to pray is pray that God gives us things. But ultimately what this teaches us is we go to God with thankfulness because it's him that we need ultimately. And so we're thankful to God as we pray that we have our answer. And it's not because we're certain that we're going to receive the answer exactly in the way that we asked for it. But we are thankful because we know that God is loving and wise. He gives us everything that we need. He withholds everything that we don't. And we have a, we're praying to a loving Heavenly Father. 
We're not praying to a genie that we ask to grant our wishes. <clears throat> Author and apologist Tim Keller wrote a book on prayer. He said this, he said, God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. And I want you to notice what this text says the peace does. It says it guards our heart and our mind. Let's think about the image that Paul gives for peace. Not an acoustic guitar, not flowers, not paisley. When he, when he wants to give this church in Philippi an image to think about, he chooses a military term. In the Greek, it's a military term. It's, it's this, it's this uh, militant guarding. And Philippi, which is the city that received this letter, they were a military town. They were a military garrison. Uh, they had a presence of the Roman army in their lives all the time. So when Paul says this, they're thinking about looking out their window, seeing the presence of a military, and thinking about the fact that Rome was guarding what went in and what went out. And so the Apostle Paul chooses the, the, for the image of peace this powerful image to convey that the, the image, uh, the peace that God have, uh, gives to us, it is this powerful peace. It's pervasive peace. It guards what gets in. And I want you to think now in the midst of this COVID ep epidemic, how are our friends and our coworkers achieving peace? What are we looking for? Quite often, the way to achieve peace in the middle of this pandemic is mental escape. It's techniques of getting your mind off of what's going on. It's a thousand different ways of not focusing on the gravity of the situation. And to the degree that you're able to mentally escape, mentally disconnect, bracket the pain out, bracket out the threat, to that degree then you'll have peace. But what we find here in this text is that what God offers is not a peace that is so weak and impotent and fragile, it requires us to get our mind off of things. This peace is so pervasive, we enjoy it while our mind is firmly on what's going on. Uh, in the words of Sinclair Ferguson, who's a Scottish theologian who wrote a commentary on the book of Philippians, he says this, anxiety cannot breathe in an atmosphere suffused with prayer. <clears throat> so we're reoriented in thankfulness, our hearts are like that wayward compass that doesn't know where true north is. We are reoriented in thankfulness for God's presence and his strength that's available for us today. And the second thing is, our peace is renewed in thoughtfulness. That's the flow of this text, from thankfulness to thoughtfulness. Our peace is renewed in thoughtfulness about God's promise for tomorrow. When you look at verse 8, the Apostle Paul talks about meditating. He says, meditate on whatever is true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. What do you think he's talking about? Why is he giving us this long list of adjectives? Is, is he just saying, think about clouds, think about puppies, mm -hmm. think happy thoughts. Here's how you achieve peace, church in Philippi. <clears throat> you know, puppies are cute and tranquil lakes are beautiful and the stars are amazing and excellent. <clears throat> But the apostle is not saying we overcome our worry and anxiety with happy thoughts. What he is saying is we will find rest in our smallness as we glory and marvel and fill our minds with God's greatness. All of those adjectives, they're all loving words. He's not just saying think loving thoughts. In fact, you look at all of those things, the honorable, the just, the pure, the lovely, 
He's, he's, he's calling us to love different things, love a different way. This reorientation in the heart that provides the peace. <clears throat> Look at verse nine. And, he, and, and, and this is very encouraging because he says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So what did they see and what do they need to practice? What do you and I need to see? And what do you and I need to practice? Well, what they saw, what we need to see is there was, there was this gathering and worshiping and eating and drinking and praying and meditating. This life of communion around the worship of God, the spiritual practices that God gave the Apostle Paul were formative. This, those same spiritual practices that are given to you and I, they're formative. His heart and our heart, his mind and our mind will be reformed, right? His was and ours will be reformed uh, by the gift of, of uh, these spiritual practices. And here's the thing. Everybody is religious. Everybody right now in this pandemic is religious. What I mean by that is everybody is turning to a message right now to find hope right now. Everybody is going somewhere for hope right now. Everybody has a minister. Everybody has a priest right now. Religion is essentially a belief system and a life of formative, repetitive, ritual practice through which you govern your life. And so in that sense, everybody is religious. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is, listen, what you've seen in me, do these things, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is why this, that's such encouraging. It's encouraging because uh, the, 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 the secret <clears throat> of contentment that he gives is not, a, is not this miracle that came down from the clouds. It's something that he learned. That's what he says. He doesn't say it's a miracle. He doesn't say, by nature, I'm not a worrier. Some people are more prone to worry and I'm not. It has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with your, uh, with your um, you know, spiritual prowess. He, it, he says he learned it. This is the gift of God of peace, for, of peace for you and I. Look at verses 11 and 12 when he talks about the secret of contentment. <clears throat> In any and every circumstance, feast or famine, abundance and need, flourishing or pandemic, right? The word for content is sufficiency. In the Greek, it's otarkos. And in, in, uh, in, in the Greek uh, culture, the virtue of self-sufficiency was the highest virtue. If you read Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, it's going to keep coming up all the time about trying to be a person who um, isn't devoid of character and isn't devoid of, of, uh, of virtue and isn't devoid of sufficiency, but you're a self-sufficient person. So what, what Paul does is he takes that language of self-sufficiency, but then he locates his sufficiency in Christ. Right? Where do you locate your sufficiency? So Paul, so here it is. Paul's secret of sufficiency flows from where he located his dependency. What he's saying is everybody's dependent. Every human being is dependent. So the secret of my sufficiency is where I located, is where I recognize where I locate my dependency, and it's actually in Christ. Can what you and I are locating our contentment in, can it be taken, right? 
The Apostle Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. His soul is evergreen. So it doesn't matter whether there's drastically unstable conditions. He has a gloriously stable soul. What you and I need, what our children need right now in the midst of what's going on in the world is a stable soul in unstable conditions. <clears throat> and so, as I said, he doesn't say it comes naturally to him. He says that he learned it. He says that he learned to have the peace and the joy regardless of circumstances. And it came through this practice of thankfulness and thoughtfulness, the thoughtfulness and prayer about his God who holds his tomorrow and this powerful soul guarding peace that he's enjoying. <clears throat> so he's not trying to mentally escape his reality. The good news of the gospel, the reality of being united to Christ by grace is that we can be very thoughtful about what's going on and what it means for our reality and still have peace through it. And often, uh, we're very quick to go to the techniques to expel the negative thoughts or, or um, escape the moment and kind of medicate ourselves so we don't feel what's going on. But we didn't become you know, restless or discontent in this quarantine. This quarantine has only exposed our restlessness and our discontentment. So I want you kids who are uh, still there to think about um, this promise of the gospel this way, this peace that God is offering this way. Imagine there's a huge storm, the lightning is clashing, the thunder is cracking, and you, um, and you are uh, afraid. And so you run into your parents' bed. And so here's the, here you are, you run into your parents' bed and you take your icy cold feet and you put them on the back of their calves and, and you fall asleep. Now, you fall asleep because you're at peace now. Your soul is quieted. Your heart and your mind are quiet. And you fall asleep with your cold little feet on the back of their calves. What happened though? Because physically speaking, circumstantially speaking, nothing changed. The lightning is still flashing and the thunder is still cracking and the storm is still raging, but now you're asleep. Well, the difference is that emotionally and psychologically, Everything changed because you feel safe and secure with the one with, with, with the one who loves you. And so that, that is what this text is giving us is that while everything is raging, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, everything can change as we redirect our thankfulness and our thoughtfulness towards our God who loves us. Verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's not saying I can do all things like my inner ninja kind of a thing. In fact, that's not even the, the essence of that. When I was uh, a teenager playing football, I used to tape up my, my uh, wrists and write Philippians 4.13 uh, on my arm. And my friends would be like, who's Phil? And because I would write it down, like, I can do all things. I can get first downs. I can score touchdowns. That's not, that, that's not what it means. It's not about what I can do. It's about a state of being. The Apostle Paul, look at the context of this passage. He's like, I have a state of being. I can handle whatever is happening because the emphasis is not on my ability to do. My emphasis is actually on the one who makes me strong. In the Greek, the essence is, in all things I'm strong, in the one who's doing the strengthening. And so again, we will have a crisis of faith. If in the midst of this uh, challenging time in the world, the only way we know how to pray is, oh God, get me out of this. Oh God, make this go away. And of course our prayer, of course, we even prayed it this morning at the beginning of our liturgy. Oh God, would you have mercy and bring an end to the pandemic? Of course we would pray that. 
Yet what the, the piece that is available here is that whether this thing ends next week, next month, or next year, our souls are evergreen. This is what the gospel provides. This is the peace that is unlike the peace that the world offers. The, the truth of this gospel of being united to Christ because of his death, his resurrection, and your union with him, the reality of it means the worst possible scenario in this pandemic is not the worst possible scenario for you. What are the two things that everybody's talking about right now? The economy and health, right? Are we going to have jobs at the end of this? What's going to happen to the economy? Um, what, what can we do to avoid the virus? The worst possible situation of those situations is not the worst possible scenario for you. Even if the economy crumbles and the world melts, like Psalm 46 says, and you don't have a job at the end of this, or I don't have a job at the end of this, God promises to take care of his children. He feeds the birds, he clothes the flowers, he'll take care of you. You have a church family, this Redeemer family. You're not going to go hungry. You're not going to lose your house. We will make certain that you are cared for because we are God's family. We're the children of God. There's no fear in this. Even if one of us in this Redeemer family contracts the virus, God will either heal you in this life because you are his child and he loves you. He will heal you and raise you to life. Or even in death, death will not be final and he will raise you to life. United to Christ and the truth of the gospel on the ground means the worst possible scenario in the world today is not the worst possible scenario for you. And so like a child finding a sense of calm in the arms of a loving parent while the storm rages outside their window. For you and I, church, while this global pandemic is raging outside our window, united to Christ, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. You know, there are texts that give a picture of what the soul looks like who is not united to Christ and resting in Christ. An example would be Isaiah 57, which says, The wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, constantly churning up dirt and mud. There is no rest for the wicked. Well, like a sandcastle that a child builds too close to the tide, if our hearts are set on anything smaller than Jesus, hoping that that thing will give us the hope that is only found in Jesus, our hearts, like that sandcastle, will constantly caving in. But this text, Philippians 4, it's a passage that encourages you and I to turn to what is unchanging, to turn to where our contentment can be found, in, in placing our contentment and our sufficiency in something that cannot be taken away. Jesus Christ sweat blood in the garden and was overcome with anxiety in his trials so that you and I would be overcome by God's peace in ours. Jesus Christ gave up his peace with God so that you can be strengthened by the peace of God. Jesus Christ was overwhelmed and abandoned by his father in his greatest hour of need so that you and I can rest in our adoption and the presence of our heavenly father in our hour of greatest need. This is the secret. Through this God-given call to thankfulness and prayer and thoughtfulness and meditation, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together, church.